You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Good morning, church. Good morning. Well, let's uh, let's begin with uh, the text we've had as a core text in this series. We're talking about honor, and we have a specific verse that we've built this series on. So we'll start there. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. It says this, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And what's implied? By me. They'll be lightly esteemed by me. So who is the person who is going to receive honor from God? Who's going to receive favor from God? Well, it's the person who honors him. It's up to us. Number one, that ball's in our court, not his. And number two, it's variable. In his sovereignty, he gave that to us. He said, if you honor me, I will honor you. If you value me, I will value you. He says, but if you lightly esteem me, if you place low value on me, he says, I'll place low value on you. It wasn't up to him. It wasn't his choice. It was our choice. If we honor him, he will honor us. This is a concept that has been largely lost by our culture. And sadly, over decades now, it's crept into the church. Um, if I had to try and pinpoint, I would say we lost a lot of ground because of the rebellion of the 50s and the 60s. And something like honor is something that we've lost a lot of. Uh, we have now generations have been born and raised in this nation who have no concept of honor, have no concept of, of respect and respecting their elders, uh, respecting people in positions of authority. And just when you think it, it couldn't get any worse, we wake up the next day in this nation and, oh, look at that. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not trying to preach on that today, but we have a culture that knows next to nothing about, about honor. And it doesn't, it's crept into the church. We have many Christians who don't really know much about honor, about respect. Even worse, um, they don't realize that they're being disrespectful. It's not like they've made a choice. Well, I'm going to show dishonor and I'm going to be disrespectful. I don't even think they see it. Genuinely so don't understand honor that they don't realize when they're being dishonorable. They, they don't understand when they're being disrespectful. They just don't see it. Um, now, it's not my position this morning to go correct the whole world. But I can talk to us. Um, first and foremost, I can talk to me. I can put the mirror right in front of me and I can say, okay, is there any of this stuff in me? And, and you can put the mirror in front of you. Is there any anything in me, in us, that, that the Lord could put his finger on to say this is disrespect? And is this something I can change about me? Because if I can change my position, I'm just making myself more honorable by him. Does that make sense? If I can honor him more, he can honor me more. And so I, I'm not trying to point a finger at the whole world. I'm trying to look in the mirror. 
and I'm asking you to look in the mirror with me, we've seen that there's, obviously there's ways we show honor by what we say or by things that we do. But I've also pointed out, and I'll remind us, that many times we show honor in the things we choose not to say, in the things we choose not to do. Sometimes we show respect by restraint and self-control um, and by simply not saying anything. And we're doing it out of respect. So these, these are all parts of it. Um, but we have to understand at the end of the day, there is, there is cost if we walk in dishonor. And it, it really doesn't matter if we chose to or just simply didn't know better. There's still going to be fruit from that. There's still going to be cost. Um, for, for us, especially, some of the biggest costs of dishonor is when we don't experience his presence like we would like to or like he would like. Um, when we don't see his hand of favor or the blessing of God as we could or even should. And many times because we're not honoring him the way we should. And I want to, I want to bring a point that's hard to explain sometimes, but, but we have already introduced it. We've talked about it in a previous message, so maybe it'll connect. This is true of all people, but it's easier to understand when we think about God's people when we think about other Christians. If you are disrespectful with people, then you are disrespectful with God. Now that's a big statement. And that might be one we have to chew on a little bit. But let me show you some things. Um, how we treat people is a reflection of how we feel about God. Um, we like to think that we... We treat God one way, but we can treat people differently. Um, scripture disagrees with that. Let me show you a, a verse that none of us like to shout about, yet it's in there. First uh, John 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So notice they're connected. We like to think, I love God. It's, it's some of these people I have problems with. It's some of these Christians I don't love. Well, he drew a line there. He says, how you treat them is a reflection of how you feel about me. It's a kingdom principle. I guess I could say it this way. It's a spiritual law. Um, you could be in a situation where maybe you don't really like the law of gravity anymore. And you don't think the law of gravity should apply to you the way it does. In fact, you're just not feeling it. I just don't think I should be tied to this earth by something called gravity. That just doesn't work for me. And I just feel like I should be able to float through the sky like a bird. Well, good luck with that. It's a law. And it works whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're feeling it or not. Feelings can get you in trouble. I won't go down that path. But it's a law. Well, this one's a law. There are a lot of people who would say, I love God with all my heart. 
But uh, there's some people that I just can't can't stand, can't tolerate, can't put up with. You can go to, right down the list. It's these Christians that I can't stand. <laughs> I, they told me in Bible school that, that this was. I've heard it two different ways, but one of them was Christianity would be great if it weren't for the Christians. Well, I get it. I, I get it. But the reality is, you can't show respect for the things of God without. Let me say. It, I said it. You say it the other way. I started to say it the wrong way. We can't show disrespect for the things of God without likewise disrespecting God and, and His things. Um, think of it this way. We, we, we saw an example earlier where uh, King David had a relationship with a fellow, a neighboring king, and they, they had a good relationship, and that neighboring king passed away. And he wanted to continue to show honor to his former friend, the king, the good guy. And so to do so, he sent an entourage of delegates to go show that honor to his son. Because honoring the son was a way of honoring his father. The son didn't deserve the honor. The son had no relationship with King David and had done absolutely zero to be deserving of that honor. It had nothing to do with the son. He showed honor to the son so that he could honor his father. Honored him for no other reason than, well, you're the king's son, so I'm going to honor you because of your dad. Now, I won't go any further because that story turned ugly. (laughs) It turned ugly fast. But King David was not wrong. Look at the principle. I can show honor to the father by honoring his kids. Well, guess what? What's one very important way you show honor to the Father God? By honoring His kids. Whether they seemingly deserve that honor or not. What? It's not really about them. It's about their dad. Do you see it? And one of the ways we honor God is honoring His kids. I get it. Some of those kids are easier to honor than others. You're right. But I'll remind you of Romans chapter 13. And we've looked at this already, so I won't spend a lot of time. But honor is not something we give them because they deserve. On the other way around, honor is a debt that we owe. We are showing the honor first and foremost because of God, and we are honoring His kids. It's not about whether they deserve it or not. It's something we owe. So if we then turn around and show disrespect towards His kids... We're disrespecting him. Are you with me? Jesus had this problem. I won't spend a lot of time, but I'll show you. Uh, John 1 verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people would not receive him. Now, it's interesting because the people who rejected him the most were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And they were the very ones who and told Jesus to his face, they're the keepers of the law. And in so many words, they said, we have great respect for the law, for the word of God, for the Torah, for Moses, and reminded Jesus, we are the seed of Abraham. We are his children, and we have great respect for Moses and for Abraham and for the law and for the word of God. It's you we don't respect. Now, I didn't say it in those words, but that, that's really what they meant not realizing who was in front of them. 
Now, we all look and say, well, it was Jesus. It's the Son of God. Yes, but we also have the luxury of the Bible in front of us and we're looking back in time. Hindsight can be twenty twenty. They didn't know that. At best, in their eyes, he was just another prophet. And many didn't even give him that. He was just another man coming along, preaching a message, attracting a crowd. Um, frustratingly, he kept doing all those miracles. Man, that made things difficult. You know, when you're trying to reject a guy and he keeps doing the works of God, <sighs> hasn't stopped people then, doesn't stop people today. But point being, they would say, we have great love and respect for God and the Scriptures. And yet when God was speaking to them through the mouth of Jesus, they didn't recognize Him and they did not respect Him. And Jesus said, I think I quote it, uh, John 5.23, All should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. And although they claimed to have great honor for God, when they rejected Jesus, they rejected his dad. Do you see that? Hmm. So anyway, overall, another way you could use, another word you could use in place of honor is value. We need to value God and his things. And one way we do that is by valuing not only his things. Can I say, can I say things and kids in the same breath? Are we his things? We are the things of God. Well, we're the kids of God. And so one way we show value to God is we value each other. One way we honor God is we honor each other. Hmm. Well, and you, if you think of it in the terms of value, what does God value more than anything else in this earth? And it's not the planet. And it's not the whales. It's not the climate. It's not all the gold and silver. What does God value more than anything else in this earth? It's people. It's souls. It's a little out of, out of context, but I, I have a, a saying that I like to say. Man thinks that money is the goal. God believes that money is a tool to get the goal, which is people. His heart is always after people. So if we're going to value what God values... We're going to value people. And here's where it gets broad again. God doesn't just value his kids, the saved. He sees value in the unsaved. And he sees value in the lost. And he wants them to come into the family. He wants them to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die on a cross for those unsaved people that are in the earth right now. He values them. So to properly value our father... We value the unsaved just as much as the saved because Jesus paid the same price for them that he did for us. So if we're going to value what God values, we're going to value people. Are you seeing it? Okay. You could. You could. I'll give you one more way to look at it, and then I'm going I'm to get off this part of the, my message. When God says, those who honor me, I will honor those who, can I say it this way, those who dishonor me, I will dishonor. You know what it sounds a lot like? The law of sowing and reaping. What's he saying? You're going to reap what you sow. If you show me honor, you're going to reap honor from me. 
if you show me disrespect, you're going to reap disrespect from me. So now I put that in the context of not him, but people. There are situations where they're not deserving of the honor, yet we owe a debt of honor. And so sometimes in those situations, it's in what we don't say, it's in what we don't do, that we are showing respect. But recognize this, especially in those situations where you know they're not deserving. It's not them you're showing the honor to, it's God. But know this, it's also kind of a sowing and reaping moment. There are situations where you can sow the seeds of honor, knowing that it'll begin to grow under the surface. And over time, as you care for that, you can begin to produce a harvest of honor where there was none. And you can begin to move a situation to where they become more deserving of that honor. In a sense, it's kind of like sowing and reaping. So there are times when we show honor knowing there's nothing there that deserves this, but I'm doing it because of my Father. And I'm doing it to begin to sow seeds of honor that will change the nature of this situation. Mm. Okay. Bottom line, you show me someone who really loves God, I'll show you someone who loves people because you cannot separate the two. You show me someone who honors God, I'll show you someone who honors people. So what we've been doing in this series is I've been pointing out different types and examples of disrespect to help to help us look in the mirror honestly and to begin to identify is there any of that in me? Is there something I need to work on? Lord, help me help me honor you more. And one of the ways I'm going to be able to honor him more is by getting more disrespect out of me and getting that under control. So I have one this morning. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. You're going to love this. He says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, is it is folly and a shame to him. He who answers a matter before he hears it. So, so what's that describing? In order to answer a matter, that means you engaged your mouth, but before you heard it, which means your ears weren't done. So the Good News Translation says it this way. Listen before you answer. But let your ears do their job first before you engage the mouth. That's what he's saying there. He who answers before he hears, uh, that's folly. He said that's a shame to him. I can connect this to a New Testament verse that says the same thing. It's James 1.19. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, we've seen that verse before. I go to that verse often when we're talking about slow to wrath. And that's true. But I want to look at that first part this morning. The We should be swift to hear. That word swift means quick, speedy. We should be quick and speedy to listen. And we should resist the urge to speak and to answer the matter. Why? Because we're busy listening. And you you can't listen if your mouth is moving. So we should be quick hearers, speedy hearers. We're slow to speak. We're quick to listen. Now, some of you are smiling Because most people today, even Christians, have all that backwards. We are swift to speak 
even swift to get angry, and we're slow to listen. And we've got that all turned around. How many times have you ended up in a bad situation because you didn't listen good enough? Maybe you were too quick to get excited and get to doing and you hadn't fully heard the instructions. Or maybe you interrupted before the instructions were done and started answering the matter and didn't hear everything you needed to hear. Are you with me? I'll give you an example because maybe you've never done this before. Maybe it's just me. No, I don't think so. But I'll give you an example. This is one I wish I could forget. This goes back to the years when I worked on the farm. And so, I want to say many years ago, because it feels like that now, but uh, I used to work on the farm, and my former employer is not here this morning, so I can speak freely and tell this story any way I want to, because he's not here to correct me. But anyway, um, one of my responsibilities when I worked on the farm, in the springtime, I got put in a planter. Um, it was not my favorite job, not because it was difficult, not because I didn't know how to do the job, but for me it was stressful. Planting was stressful. Why? I tend to be a little on the detail-oriented side, so I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to please my employer. I wanted the field to be planted properly. There's a lot riding on this. I need to do a good job, not just for my employer, but for the landlord. You know, there's all these... And I understood that, you know. Um, but then not only that, there was always this thing in me, you think this through with me, I'm planting the crop, which is now going to grow up, and it's going to live there until fall. So if we're planting, let's say we're planting in May, it's going to be there in June, in July, and August, and September, and maybe even into October before we come in and harvest that crop. So if I go in there with the planter and I make a big boo-boo, and I screw up this farm and maybe I put something in crossways or crooked or I, some other mistake. My boss gets to look at that mistake every time he goes to that field all summer long. And just the possibility of that messed with me. It would be October before they take the crop out until the soil and erase my mistake. It's there for months. And this was always over my head. So I'm like, I got to do a good job. And so for the most part, I did do a good job. My problem was because I was being so careful I was slow. And that was the biggest complaint I would get from my boss. Aren't you done yet? You should have had that field planted by now. You should be to the next one. I found out later the other planter operators would talk behind my back and place bets on how long it would take me to plant that field. I didn't know this at the time. I found out later. They did. They would talk on the radio behind my back. How long do you think it's going to take him? I bet it takes two hours. I bet it takes three or whatever, you know. Really? Now, all I will say in my defense is after I had left that job and other people stepped in to take my place who were maybe not as careful as me, he did come back to me later and say, I'll never pick on you again. I'll never complain about how slow you were because he said, at least I never had to go back behind you and fix your mistakes. <laughs> Apparently that happened with some of my predecessors. That being said, I didn't always get it right. So there was that one spring, um, for those of you that know, I was going, I was sent out to plant the Foster 40. 
Um, so it's a, it's a small field, praise God. It was a 40-acre farm, and I had been sent to go put beans on that farm. It was a seed soybean that we were growing that year. And normally, I'm a, I was a good listener, and I'd get all my directions straight. But this particular day, I was being sent to that 40 to get it planted and hurry up and get it done because there was a storm coming. And not just a little rain, there was a storm. High winds, lightning, all of that was coming, and you could see it on the radar. I mean, as I'm pulling into the field, I can see that storm kind of downstate and headed our way, you know. The whole time I'm going up and down in the field, I could grab my phone, look at the radar. It's coming! It's coming! on. And I wanted to get done, get that seed in the ground. I wanted out of the field into the shed before the lightning hits. I do not want to be out there in the middle of the field when the storm gets here. So I'm pushing. And here's what happened. So I thought I had everything under control. And I get in there and I border it and I know where I'm supposed to put isolation. This was a seed soybean, so I had a few special things you're doing to it. But I got everything worked out. I'm flying. All right, I got 40 acres to plant. Somewhere between 30 to 35 acres. I think I almost made it to 35 acres. I got five to eight acres left to plant. And the alarms start going off. The alarm's telling me, hey, you're running out of seed. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, that's an inconvenience, but okay. So I get on the phone. Hey, boss, I need you to bring me some more seed. He says, why? And I said, well, my, I got a few more acres to go here, and I'm about out. My alarms are going off. I, I could got a couple more bags. I need a little more seed. And he says, number one, you should have had enough to finish that farm, because number two, there is no more seed. This was a new variety that our grower was developing. It was still in R&D. They had just harvested it out of Puerto Rico, and they sent us every seed they had. And it was supposed to be enough to fill that 40 acres. And I'm running out. Guess what that means? Operator error. Long story short, I didn't listen close enough, and I set the population wrong on the planter. I was putting too many seeds in the ground too fast. You, like your seeds per foot, as I'm cruising through the field, I'm dropping them too fast. So they're heavier populated than they should be, which now means as they grow, they don't have as much elbow room because they're all tighter together than they're supposed to be. And I got a big eight-acre dead spot over here where I ran out of seed, which I think they came back in and filled with something else because you can't have bare dirt in a farm. That's just bad. <laughs> Neighbors talk, weeds grow. It's bad. It's bad. So anyway, I'm running out of seed. Why? Long story short, I wasn't listening. Now, it's not necessarily because I was using my mouth, but I wasn't paying attention. I was not being a good listener, and I messed up the population. I'm sure none of you have ever done anything like that. No, maybe you have. Maybe you're not planting a farm, but have you ever not been listening good enough? And then you mess something up. There's my story. I messed up the Foster 40. It was bad. And then, of course, then that got talked about all the rest of that year and all the way into harvest. And I wondered, I haven't heard him bring it up in a while, and he's not here this morning. I wonder if he still, nah, he doesn't forget. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was gonna, I wonder if he remembered, but how many annual safety meetings does he bring out every story that's ever happened on the farm and then some? Yeah, okay. I do what? <laughs> Oh, well, good. He doesn't tell that story. 
Although the time I slid the, the seed corn picker into the ditch and dropped my corn head on the ground, he still tells that one. Whole other story. That was not a listening issue. That was a whole other problem. Another sermon illustration for another day. But anyway, I loved working on the farm. Back to my point. Be a good listener. It, it does matter. So let's go back to Proverbs eighteen thirteen. Let's dig in a little deeper. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame to him. So one way you could read that, if you're answering a matter before you're done hearing the matter, what are you doing? You're engaging your mouth while their mouth is still going. What do we call that? It begins with an I. Interrupting. They're still talking. You're supposed to be listening. But instead of listening, your mouth is engaged. And now you're interrupting. Yeah, everyone's just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> we live in a culture where interrupting has become normal. People don't even think about it anymore. How many times do you turn on the TV and not so much like a sitcom or something, but like a talk show, a, a news program, something along those lines where talking would be the normal thing. There's interrupting all over the place. Never mind political debates these days. Oh, buddy. And I'm not going to try to unpack that, but we, 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 it didn't used to be that way. We have, can I say, I'll just be honest, we have devolved when it comes to that. Why? Because we've moved away from, from honor. You have arguing and people raising their voices and they're trying to talk over each other and be the louder person and, and it's just rude. It's all kinds of disrespectful. And what's at the root of that? When you, you dig into it, at the core, what is driving the interrupting and the disrespect and the rudeness? It's pride. Pride is an interrupter. One way you could look at that, let's say I'm talking with Aaron and he's saying something to me. And then I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to interrupt him. And I start saying what I want to say in a way that makes him quit talking. What am I basically implying? I realize you have something you're trying to communicate to me, but what I have to say is so much more important than what you have to say that I just, I need you right now to just stop talking because we need to hear what I have to say. It is so much more important. So I'm going to interrupt you so that what I have to say can be voiced. Are, are you with me? I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's at the core of interruption. It's that what I have to say is so much more important that I have to, to stop you right in the middle of your, of your sentence, of your, your thought to hear mine. Now, we've talked about pride a lot. That's in the nature of human flesh. And that's not a part of us that got born again when we asked Jesus to be our Savior. Now, He did a work on the inside of us. Pride is not in your heart. It's not in our spirit. But it is still in this stinking flesh that we're walking around in. And that's what's motivating the interruption. And so Scripture teaches us this is something that we have to rule over. Um, the Apostle Paul says, I discipline my body. 
Now, in fact, I'm quoting a verse, but I'm misquoting it. Um, Whenever I try to quote that verse, I usually say it this way. I discipline my body and I keep it under. And I'm actually, I'm mixing up my translations when I say that. The New King James says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. What? I bring my body into subjection to me. It's the King James, the original King James that says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And somewhere along the way, I just twisted those all together and said, I discipline my body and keep it under, which isn't completely wrong. But here's the lesson I've learned, because this is not a new thing for me. And because maybe you've never been through this, but I have flesh, (laughs) he says obnoxiously. I have flesh, and I've recognized this is a problem I've had. Hold on, honey. Because what she just thought, what just went through her head was, had? (laughs) So, So hold on. Here's what I'm learning. There was a time when I really got on this. And I got on me. And I said, I will not be an interrupter. And it was a fun season of my life. It was a challenging season. You know what I learned in that season? So I'm, I was determined, I will not interrupt people. And so here's what happened. I'm talking the majority of the time, and it made me so mad. Not, not that people mad at myself. So maybe back to Aaron. Aaron's my example this morning. So we're talking. And he sparks a thought. And I want to share something because it's going to add to the conversation. But I don't want to interrupt. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to wait. Let him finish. He finishes everything he wants to say. And then we get to a proper spot in the conversation where now I can share what was so important. And now it's my turn. Ready? You know what I want to say about that? I forgot. Not because he just talks so long, but that would happen so many times where I'm, I'm, I will not interrupt. I'm going to wait. And then I can't even remember what I wanted to say. And the irony is in that moment, it was so important. I wanted to shut him up and interrupt so I could say, because what I had to say was so important. And clearly it was so important that just two or three minutes later, I can't remember what it was. Oh, how humbling. It, it frustrated the daylights out of me. And then I would do things like, okay, I don't want to interrupt, but in, when you're done with this, remind me. And I would give him words to help me remember what I wanted to, how sad is that? <laughs> that was an interesting season of my life. So now I come forward more time. And here's where I get back to what Paul said and why I was, not why I was, but it worked with my misquote better. <laughs> I discipline my body and I keep it under. Because as time went by, just because I went through a season and I got that, I reined it in and I disciplined my body and I controlled my mouth and I worked hard to not be an interrupter and I made progress. And then time went by and you know what happened? I didn't pay attention to it as much as I used to. And, you know, you get off on other things. And next thing you know, one day comes along and you realize Oh, I'm an interrupter. It crept back in. Not overnight, but over time. And I realized, I was thinking about that. I discipline my body. I keep it under. Because if I don't keep on it, it comes out again. It doesn't stay under. As long as we're living in this flesh, there are things we just have to rule over. We have to discipline this body and keep it disciplined. And keep ruling over those things. Because the minute we let it go, it tries to come right back out. 
especially pride and all the things related to it. It just works right back out. It's, I just have to live with a consciousness of, I gotta keep this thing under. And I've gotta rule over it. Cause if I don't, it comes right back out. Comes right back out. So anyway, let me give you a couple examples along this and then we'll wrap this up and we'll close. But I got to thinking, it's no secret if you listen to me much that there are some um, men and women of God that I have great and high respect for but that I very, not disrespectfully, honoringly, if I can say it that way, reverencingly, I call them the old timers. Uh, and that's not even original with me. They're other preachers call them the old timers. I got that from someone else. I hope it's not a disrespectful term. I don't mean it that way. But these are men and women who were in the ministry, who lived their lives. They served God, accomplished wonderful things for the kingdom of God. But they've run their course and they've gone home to be with the Lord and they're not with us anymore. And that's the group I call the old timers. And so and I go back and I, those that weren't that long ago, I listen to their messages that are still on recording. Or if you can go back further, I read their writings. You know, you can still learn from them and autobiographies or biographies or different, you know, we learn from them. Those that have run the race before us. And so I lovingly call them the old timers. Some call them the generals of the kingdom. I've heard them called the chiefs of the clan. Whatever you want to call them. But there are certain traits, the ones that walked closely with God, there are certain traits that you begin to see similarities of. And this is one of them. They don't interrupt. Almost, this this is not a good way to say it. I shouldn't say it, but can I, I'm going to say it anyway. It's wrong. What I'm saying is wrong, but it, you'll know my point. They won't interrupt to a fault. Now that's wrong, and I'm going to undo that. But you know what I mean by that. Um, I've heard more than once, I've heard stories of, here's an example, um, within a denomination, within a church denomination, they called to order a special meeting because there's something going on in the culture of the day, and they want to know, how does our denomination feel about this, and what is our response to this, and what is the belief of our denomination and the stance we take moving forward in light of current events. And so they would bring a meeting together. And not surprisingly, if you think about it, it's all the young ministers that jump on and they grab the mic first and they start talking about it and well, this and this and that and, and I think this and that and when the Bible says this and, and they'll just run. And, and one that I heard of in particular, the whole meeting is just running its course and it's all the young people kicking it around and trying to decide how are we going to handle this as a denomination and they get close to the end of the meeting and somebody realized the elders haven't spoken there's some men in the room who have been at this longer than anyone and they were older and had seen more and they were sitting through the entire meeting silent and finally, someone would have the wisdom to ask, do you have something to say about this? And once given the floor, they would step up and speak wisdom. And they would bring guidance to the entire denomination. And many times, they took that counsel, and that's the way the denomination went. And I, I get it. I sit back and I wonder then, what if those elders had never been acknowledged? 
What if they'd never been given a chance to speak the wisdom that they had from their years? I can't say this authoritatively, but I got a funny feeling. They would have let the meeting close and they would have kept their mouth shut and they would have watched them go off in that direction because they would not interrupt even though what they had was valuable. I give you another example. Um, one of the old timers that I grew up under was Brother Kenneth Hagen. Um, and I've heard a lot of stories, especially in more recent years, a lot of people who were close to him, who, who, not just who were close to him, are telling stories these days, not what you saw in the pulpit. They're telling what he was like behind the scenes. What happened, you know, in the back room, not in the church service? And how was he like running the business and the, and the office and, you know, the stuff you didn't see in the limelight? I'm hearing a lot of those stories more and more. And I, this one in particular, as it fits this message, it was not at all uncommon, especially in the later years of his ministry, for other ministers, especially younger ministers who, who had come up through the Rama organization, would seek him out for counsel. They would get themselves in a situation and they would want to seek his advice. He didn't have time to just help everybody and it really wasn't his calling to help everybody but just out of compassion he would try as his schedule would allow and so he would block off time all right well so-and-so wants to come talk to me that's fine and he would block off i can fit this into my schedule um maybe 30 minutes okay i got 30 minutes here from here to here where they can come and talk to me and and i'll I'll, do what i can and the people telling the stories would say if it happened once, it happened a hundred times. The, the young minister would come in. He's got his 30 minutes with Brother Hagen, and he'd just start. And well, and this is going on, and this is going on, and this is happening, and I had this situation, and then I did this, and they did that, and I said this, and they said that, and they're just da 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 All the while, clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. And those that knew Brother Hagen well, they would say, you'll get to a point where they knew he has something to say. They could see it in his eyes. They said, he's got something to add. But they also knew he won't interrupt him. And they said time and time again, they just keep going and keep going. And they talk through their entire block of time. And then they reach the end of that time. And then... Brother Hagen would stand up and say, well, it sure was nice to meet you today, but our time is up and I have a meeting to get ready for. And he'd walk out and he'd never say a word. And you knew he had an answer for them, but he would not interrupt him. And so there's a temptation, especially in our culture today, that would sit back and judge those old timers and say, that's not right. You had what they need. You should have interrupted them. You should have stopped them and said what you had. But I know why they didn't. For one, they were men of God. And you know why they wouldn't interrupt? Because that's how God is. That's how your Heavenly Father is. He is not an interrupter. I don't know how many Christians go into their prayer closets And they do all the talking. And it's not that God doesn't have an answer. 
It's not that he doesn't have something he would say to them. But they never take time to listen. Oh, I wish the Holy Spirit would just put his hand over our mouth, so to speak, and say, hush, my turn. Here's what you need. Oh, I wish he would do that. He will not. Pride is an interrupter. And there is no pride in your heavenly father. What does scripture say? Be still and know that I am God. There are times, more than we sometimes realize, where the best thing we can do is get in his presence and be still. Give him chance to minister to you and speak something to you, give you the direction you need. Sometimes, just be still and bask in his presence. But he will not interrupt. Pride is an interrupter. And there is no pride in him. Mm. Well, I think that's where I'm going to stop. I would say this. Much of the world around us has no concept. We, we now live in a very rude culture. But we ought not be that way. We know better. Let's lead by example. And let's show honor where honor is due. Let's pay the debt of honor where it is owed. And in situations where it's appropriate, we will show honor what with restraint. Just not say and not do, but show honor, even if they're not deserving. Because God says, those who honor me, I will honor. And that includes those who honor my things and my people, I will honor.